Our world is changing rapidly, and if businesses today want to stay relevant, changing their strategies will be vital. But when delivering short-term results is the norm and leaders feel uncertain about the future, how is that even possible? We will explore that question and more in today's podcast. But before we begin, I want to tell you about Monitor Suite, the content subscription service equipped for the equipment finance industry. Monitor Suite features high quality streaming series and the very first equipment finance documentary series. Monitor Suite members have 24 seven access to our entire library of in-depth data reports dating back to 1992, videos, members only live stream events, exclusive articles, and much more. For more information, visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite was a project that I started working on during my time in cohort two of Stripe's leadership program which just so happens to be today's podcast sponsor. Stripes is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry. This 10-month program launches with a three-day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry and leadership experts, working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes was a phenomenal experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Rita Garwood, Editor-in-Chief of Monitor. Joining me on the podcast today is John Hagel. John is a consultant, global speaker, futurist, and the best-selling author of eight best-selling books, including his most recent book, The Journey Beyond Fear. John, I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, welcome the opportunity. Thank you. So first of all, we're super excited that you're going to be the keynote speaker at Monitor's 50th anniversary celebration on June 15th, which is going to be held right here in Philadelphia, for those who aren't aware of it yet. Um, we asked you to speak because we know that you're not shy about ruffling feathers. Um, the equipment finance industry has been successful for over 60 years, but like many industries, to continue to be successful in the future, we're going to need to innovate and change. What would you say to the leaders of our industry about the need for change? Well, well, I think that um, I've been doing research for uh, quite a few years on the long-term forces that are reshaping our global economy and society. And I've come to believe that we are in the early stages of what I call the big shift, um, a profound transformation of our global economy and society. Um, even though it's been playing out for decades already, I think we're just in the early stages of this big shift and there's a lot more to come. But one of, one of the uh, consequences of the big shift is mounting performance pressure. And uh, it takes many different forms. One, one form is uh, intensifying competition on a global scale for competing more and more with other companies, other people around the world. Um, we're also experiencing accelerating pace of change. Things we thought we could count on are no longer there. And um, if that weren't enough, because of all the connectivity we've created around the world, a small event in some faraway place quickly cascades into an extreme disruptive event, leaving us scrambling to figure out what to do. There, I mentioned pandemic as just one example of that kind of extreme disruptive events. So there's a lot of forces that are accelerating change and are going to force, I think, all companies and all people to change and transform in fundamental ways to 
thrive in this new world. And with all of those factors, it, change is not only inevitable, but it's something that we really need to prepare for. I know in your new book, The Journey Beyond Fear, you address the psychology of change. What are you seeing regarding this fear of change in companies and in industries? And how do leaders and companies who value innovation successfully navigate through this resistance to change? Well, I think it's it's challenging because, as I mentioned, this big shift is creating mounting performance pressure. And one of the consequences, very understandably, is the growing emotion of fear around the world. I think more and more people are experiencing fear at the highest levels of organizations, lowest levels out in the communities. Um, but one of the challenges is that many, because we live in cultures where expressing fear is a sign of weakness, we don't even want to admit to ourselves, much less share with anyone else that we're afraid. But fear, while it's understandable, is very limiting. I think it has many consequences. One is that uh, if you're, you're afraid, you tend to shrink your time horizon. You tend to just focus on today. That's all you can do. It's, it's uh, challenging enough. Um, and you, you begin to um, lose trust in others. Uh, because, you know, you just, things are so challenging. I don't know if I can count on you, even if you seem like a good person. And um, you become much more risk averse. And so there are a lot of things that, that limit your ability to respond effectively to the change that's going on as a result of the fear. And I've come to believe, first of all, again, it's acknowledging the role of emotions in driving our performance, um, because I think many business people say emotions are a distraction, just leave them at home. Um, but then finding a way to help people move beyond fear and focus on opportunities that are out in the future and cultivate a very specific form of passion. I write about it extensively in my book, but I call it the passion of the explorer and people who have this kind of passion are actually excited by change, excited by the pressure. I mean, it creates an opportunity for them to learn and, and develop, have more impact. So again, I think it's uh, the key is just, first of all, recognizing that emotions are, are gonna make a big difference. Yeah, and that's so important. And as you said, that's traditionally not something that companies have, have looked at. But, um, you know, I've definitely been seeing a growing trend of people, you know, prioritizing the whole person at work. And I think that's, that's really important. And as you said, like, we're not going to be able to have growth or get into that explorer mindset when you have that fear or when you're seeing change as something to be afraid of. So, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, Many companies, especially in our industry and, and across the board, have been successful for many years, and they have their products and their processes perfected. Why should they be concerned with innovation in the first place? Boy, um, you know, I, I think, again, it's stepping back and, and looking at the forces that are reshaping our global economy and society and the accelerating pace of change. I mean, one of the uh, studies that have, has been done is the product life cycles are actually shrinking at a significant rate. You know, it used to be if you came up with a great new product, got it in the market, job done. I can relax and then retire. Um, now the question is, what's next? 
how soon can you get the next product into market? Um, because the, the cycles are, are shrinking and we've also got much more demanding customers. I mean, one of the consequences of the big shift is customers have much more power and much more desire for things that really meet their specific needs versus you know, a general mass market product. And their needs are evolving at a more rapid rate. So your products have to evolve at a rapid rate. So that's all I think in terms of product and service innovation, but I think there's a much more fundamental level of innovation we can talk about later, which is innovation in, in the model of how we run our institutions, um, changing at a fundamental level, how we run our institutions in terms of the, the leadership, how we organize, how we operate. And I think that's all requires significant innovation as well. But yeah. Okay, and we will get into that. So let's talk about business strategy first. So an article that you co-authored for the Deloitte Center for the Edge, it stated that the traditional approach to org organizations take to strategy often fails. What is the traditional approach and why does it often fail? Well, it's generalizing, but I would say the, the traditional approach for large companies in particular is um, the five-year plan. Basically, if I ask a leader what their strategy is, they'll pull out the five-year plan and it's year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. That's our strategy. Um, and again, I, I think one of the challenges here is that approach led to very big success for decades. I mean, not to, not to question that, but the challenge I think in, in a rapidly changing world is the five-year plan. If you just take a five-year um, view of the, the business, you can pretty much convince yourself your business is gonna be the same five years from now as it is today. There are gonna be some minor incremental changes, but basically same business. Um, and it pulls you back from really challenging yourself to say, how, how is my business going to need to evolve in more fundamental ways? And uh, you begin to become much more incremental in terms of the approach to strategy, you know, small changes, and that's it. And then I'll, I'll say too, I mean, because it's hard to um, talk universally, I think some companies have moved from a five-year plan approach to uh, one of the buzzwords in the business world today is agility. Strategy, strategy is all about being agile, you know, being responsive as quickly as possible to whatever's happening in the moment. And again, I think it's a natural reaction to rapid change and so many things going on. But the challenge with that approach is if you just respond to anything and everything that's going on today, you're gonna have thousands of initiatives and nothing will have critical mass because there's so much going on and you're trying to respond to everything. You have no sense of priority and what the focus is. So that approach I think is very challenged as well as an approach to strategy. Okay, so the five-year plan is not gonna work for the future. This agile approach of creating all of the things in response to whatever you're seeing is not going to work. Um, the same article that I referenced before mentions a new process um, called Zoom In, Zoom Out. 
What are the benefits of zoom in and zoom out? Can you explain that approach to strategy and how it differs from those traditional methods that you outlined? Yes, it's um, I, I came to uh, develop this approach by looking at, uh, I've been in Silicon Valley now for over 40 years and worked with some of the most successful technology companies. And one thing that struck me is the most successful technology companies have a very different approach to strategy than traditional businesses. And they, they do it more instinctively or intuitively, but I gave it the name, actually, I call it zoom out, zoom in, because you need to start with the zoom out. Um, but it's interesting because it focuses on two very different time horizons in parallel. First time horizon, the zoom out is 10 to 20 years. And on that horizon, the questions are, what is our relevant market or industry going to look like 10 to 20 years from now? And then what is a really big opportunity that's going to emerge in that very different market or industry uh, over the next 10 to 20 years that could become the focus for our business and help us to become a much bigger and more successful business than we are today? So that's the zoom out. Um, zoom in very different time horizon. It's six to 12 months. And on that horizon, the questions are, what are the two or three initiatives, no more, two or three initiatives that we could pursue in the next six to 12 months that would have the greatest impact in accelerating our movement towards that longer term opportunity that we've identified in the zoom out? And do we have a critical mass of resources against those two to three initiatives in the next six to 12 months. And then finally, how would we measure progress? At the end of six to 12 months, how could we determine the progress that we've made towards that longer term destination or opportunity? And it's, um, it, it's very interesting on, on multiple levels. I think that the um, interesting observation, first of all, is you think about zoom out, zoom in, it's 10 to 20 years or six to 12 months. These companies spend almost no time on one to five years. That five-year plan, it's irrelevant. It's all about what's the big long-term opportunity and what can we do in the very short term to address that opportunity and, and accelerate our movement towards that opportunity. It's also because you're moving beyond the five-year horizon and looking 10 to 20 years, it forces leadership out of their comfort zone. Because if you look ahead 10 to 20 years and you really think you're gonna be the same business and company that you are today, you don't understand exponential change. Get back to the table and work on that. And so it forces leadership past the most basic question of all, which is what business should we be in? What business could we be in? And, um, that's not very comforting for most, most executives. They just wanna be in the business that has made them successful in the past. And then I'll also just mention that I, I know a lot of companies have done, um, uh, what they call the um, scenario planning, scenario development exercises where the leadership goes off to some retreat and they imagine these alternative futures, amazing futures, they might even pick the most likely one, uh, but then the meeting's over 
Let's get back to work. We've got work to do. And it was an interesting theoretical or conceptual exercise, but it has nothing to do with what we're doing today. Zoom out, zoom in. The meeting's not over until we have identified those two or three initiatives in the next six to 12 months and ensure they have a critical mass of resources. All of a sudden, that theoretical conceptual exercise becomes very real and has implications for what we're going to do tomorrow, significant implications for what we're going to do tomorrow. So it's a very different approach to strategy. And I've come to believe in a world that's rapidly changing. It, um, it's, I'll, I'll just mention too that, <laughs> tie it back to emotions. I think that one of the interesting things about zoom out, zoom in, is it can be very powerful in shifting emotions because on the one side, it's focused on a really, really inspiring big opportunity out in the future, 10 to 20 years. And many people who are afraid are going to be very skeptical of that, you know, oh, come on, that's just fantasy, that's never going to happen. But the zoom in focuses on action today and results today. And it starts to overcome the skepticism and fear of a lot of people as they start to see, wow, we were able to do that. That's amazing. How can I become part of this? So it's, I think, a very powerful way to help people move beyond the fear and really start to cultivate that passion of the explorer. Does sound really powerful. But you mentioned, you know, sometimes leaders might go away to a retreat and come up with all of these different future scenarios. And, you know, we've also been talking about all of the uncertainty and fear that's out there right now. So given all of that, many leaders might argue that the future is too uncertain to really zoom out. What would you say to them? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly understand the, the fear and the uh, uncertainty. I think the, um, the, what, what I've learned by looking at the companies that do this is they, they focus in a very specific way on the future. And I'll just give you an example to, to bring it to life. It's a company back in the 1970s, um, a startup in Redmond, Washington, uh, you might have heard of it. It's called Microsoft. And uh, I think uh, Bill Gates actually pursued a zoom out, zoom in approach to strategy. And his zoom out view could be summarized in two sentences. First sentence, computing is moving from centralized mainframes to the desktop. The second, if you want to be a leader in the computer industry, you need to be a leader on the desktop. That's the big opportunity. Two sentences. It wasn't a detailed blueprint of what the computer industry was going to look like 10 to 20 years from now, but it had enough detail so that he could focus in the short term on actions that really matter. And it, what's interesting is he ended up focusing on two trends that were reasonably predictable. And by the way, I should say when when I give this example, many people say, oh, come on, that was obvious, you know, computing's moving to the desktop. Back in the 1970s, it was not obvious. I was in a board meeting of a large mainframe company that dismissed Microsoft as this toy company. They were trying to create these little devices that all, all the power was going to be in the mainframe. And, um, but he focused on two trends that were reasonably predictable in a world of growing uncertainty. One trend was the exponential improvement in price performance of semiconductors. 
reasonably predictable. And that was going to go on for decades. Um, second trend was he was looking at employees in large companies standing in line, waiting to get to that mainframe to get a simple question answered. And their frustration <laughs> with, with having to do that, wanting to have more immediate answers. And so he's, with those two trends, he said, this is a huge opportunity and it's reasonably predictable. A lot of uncertainty about how it was going to play out and all the who all the players would be, but enough predictability that he could again focus on action, aggressive action in the short term to build a very successful company. I can imagine having to <laughs> wait in line to to use a computer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So I've heard you talk about the traditional approach of creating growth through uh, incremental efficiency, but you argue that that approach kills innovation. Why is that? Well, I think it's um, it's challenging. I mean, I think that um, the it's the way I believe most companies are run today. I call the model scalable efficiency. The key to success is to become more and more efficient at scale, do things faster and cheaper, and that's what's going to drive your, your success. <clears throat> the problem, I think, again, in a world of increasing fear is that leads to a unwillingness to engage with things that are more risky and might create more value in the end, but have more risk attached to them. I mean, one of the things that's become very um, prominent in the business world today is this notion of ambidextrous organizations. We want companies that on the one side are going to be extremely efficient at scale, but on the other side have innovation going on and creating new things. And the problem is that the innovation initiatives start to get crushed by the scalable efficiency because the people running the scalable efficiency are driven more and more by fear and they view this innovation as very risky and not worth pursuing and we're, we're getting results through the scalable efficiency let's just focus on that and crush the um, um you know the innovation efforts going on uh, I will say just also, again, in the spirit of being a bit of a contrarian, virtually every large company that I know in the world has an innovation center here in Silicon Valley. And um, I know many of the people running those innovation centers, and they've basically been told by the leadership of their company that they'll be given some people and some budget to do innovative kinds of things. But the core message is don't ever come back because if you come back, we're gonna kill you. And so they keep this innovation center at arm's length way often. They, I, I call them PR centers because when people outside the company challenge them about their innovation, they point to their innovation center and say, so no, we're highly innovative. Um, but again, it's keeping it at a distance, keeping it removed from the core of the company that's driven by the scalable efficiency model. So, Wow. <laughs> so that scalable efficiency model, you know, usually does deliver 
the short-term results. And many companies have a culture and shareholders that are focused on those short-term results. How can leadership make the shift away from short-term results in a way that won't rock the boat when it comes to those stakeholders? Is that possible? I think it's very possible. I mean, there are many different um, elements to this, but, uh, you know, I, I'm constantly told by leaders, you know, we're prisoners of our investors. They just want short-term results. And, you know, that's all we can focus on. and uh, That's all that matters. Um, and my response is, first of all, I understand, yes, investors are very focused on short-term results. But the question I ask is, when was the last time you went to them and articulated a really exciting, inspiring long-term opportunity for the business? And they would look at me like I was crazy. You know, why would it? It's too risky. I can't do that. But, you know, the future's too uncertain. And so my response is, well, what do you expect investors to measure you on? All they have, if they don't have that long-term opportunity, is short-term results. And you get this vicious cycle of the more they focus on short-term results, the more the leadership focuses on it, the more leadership, the more the investors. And so you get this kind of doom loop. Um, one of my counter examples that I think is, is useful in this con uh, context is I, I know um, Jeff Bezos at Amazon quite well. Uh, from the very beginning, he went to his investors and said, if you're looking for short-term results, I'm not the company to invest in. Find somebody else. I'm focused on really big, long-term opportunities that are being created by the internet. Guess what? He did reasonably well. <laughs> there were investors who were willing to, to, to take that, but you have to be committed to and and focused on that long-term opportunity for the investors to um, uh, to be willing to go along. I think that um, another, again, I can go in on for hours on this because I think it's an important question, but I've come to be a strong proponent if you're a large existing organization that the best way to drive change and, and get investor support and, and support from your, your people <clears throat> in the company is to do what I call scaling the edge. And what I mean by that is you take that zoom out approach of identifying that really big long-term opportunity that could transform your business and then find an edge to your existing business today with relatively modest resources and, and people, but that has the potential to scale to address that opportunity and ultimately become the new core of your company. It's not just a diversification effort or a growth initiative, that will be the new core of your business. And start by focusing on scaling that edge and starting again with the zoom in to show um, you know, uh, the, the tangible results from that scaling the edge. And as you start to get results, short-term results from scaling the edge, I think that's a good time to go out to the investors and articulate that really big opportunity, long-term opportunity, because now you can show real progress towards that opportunity. It's not just, again, a speech and, and fantasy, it's real. And it begins to get investors excited and motivated to, to participate. So 
I think that um, scaling scaling the edge can be a much better approach than just going in from the top down and uh, saying we need to change everything. You know, we have to um, do it all at once and from the top. And no, I think it's start with an edge and scale that edge over time. And again, from an emotional viewpoint, as that edge starts to scale, the employees in the core are going to see that scaling that and the progress that's being made and start to get excited and want to join that edge. And so over time, you're going to pull more and more of the people and resources from the core out to the edge. So. That makes a lot of sense. It, just the excitement of that edge can can be super attractive. Yeah. So another article that you co-authored for the Deloitte Center for the Edge encouraged um, readers to change how they think about why their business exists and drastically change their mindset about management. Why is that important? And what do you mean by drastically change their mindset? Yeah. Boy. Um... Well, this gets to this notion of a different form of innovation, this innovation around what I describe as the institutional models, how you run your business, how you organize it, operate it. You know, and again, I'm going to generalize, but in, in general, the most successful large companies today have been driven by this model of scalable efficiency. They just want to do things faster and cheaper at scale. And Again, hard to argue for over a century, that's driven the success of the, the very large companies that we all know today. I believe given this big shift that we're going through, a very different institutional model is gonna be required. And it's what I call scalable learning, where the focus is on getting everyone in the organization to learn faster. And I should say, <laughs> There's a lot to clarify in, in, in the approach, but um, the learning that I'm talking about, when I talk about learning to executives, they say, oh, yeah, we have training programs. We do a lot of learning. No, that's one form of learning, which is sharing existing knowledge. And I think that's helpful for sure. In a rapidly changing world, the most powerful and necessary form of learning is creating entirely new knowledge that never existed before by confronting situations that are new and emerging. And that doesn't occur in a training room, that occurs in the work environment. And so it's every worker who's confronting new situations, focusing on learning from those new situations, how to create more and more value. And it's shifting the focus from just cost, scalable efficiency, reduce cost, to how can we create more value and impact to our customers and our stakeholders that matter to us and to others within the organization, depending on where you are in the company. So it's a very different model. It fundamentally changes the culture, everything in the, in the organization. I'll say um, the mark of a leader in this shift, I mean, if you look at the strong leaders today in business and in all large organizations, the mark of a strong leader is someone who has an answer to all the questions. No matter what question, you can count on the leader to have an answer to it. And by the way, if they don't have an answer to it, 
maybe it's time for them to leave and we can get a leader who has the answer. I believe in the rapidly changing world that we're, we're facing, the mark of a strong leader is the one who has the most powerful and inspiring questions and who will freely admit they don't have an answer and ask for help. And that sends a very powerful message to the organization that first of all, asking questions is not only okay, it's necessary. And asking for help is not only okay, but necessary. And everyone in the organization should be asking questions and asking for help to drive the learning. And so fundamentally different culture. Again, I think in, in scalable efficiency world, people ask questions or, or a distraction. You know, just read the manual, get back to the manual, do the assigned tasks uh, and, and get the job done. So um, anyway, I think that's a very, Fundamental change, very um, challenging change for sure. But having that change would be so refreshing from that, <laughs> the, the, you know, not being able to answer, ask any questions and, you know, top down sort of orders coming in. Um, yeah, it would definitely create a, a better culture for everyone. So, as a final question, you recently founded a new company, Beyond Our Edge LLC, that works with companies and people who are seeking to anticipate the future and achieve much greater impact. I'm sure that the leaders in our industry would love to be able to anticipate the future for greater impact. How do companies anticipate the future in this current environment? <laughs> um, well, it, again, I don't want to suggest that it's easy. Um, the things are changing at a more and more rapid rate. The future has a lot of uncertainty to it. But again, I think there are some things that, that can be focused on. I, one of the things, and I, I, this is my learning from Silicon Valley again, is that digital technology is transforming the world and the economies of the world. And so having a deep understanding of all the digital technologies that are relevant to your particular market or business and seeing what opportunities, again, that can create over time uh, is, is one of the key ways to anticipate the future. Another, another element is, again, this focus on, on customers going from the outside in. I think, again, if we're driven by fear, we just tend to focus on ourselves and on our business. and. Um, you need to challenge yourself to go outside and really spend time learning from your customers. First of all, are they really still gonna be your customers over the long term? Are there other segments or people that will be coming in or companies that will be coming in that will be your customers? Um, and how are their needs likely to evolve and what opportunities are really big for them? And then figuring out, okay, how could I be more effective in addressing those emerging opportunities among the evolving customers that I'm serving? So go from the outside in, go back from, from looking at the customers to your business and say, what are the implications for my business? So I think those are two, two ways that can help to really um, anticipate the future. Definitely great ideas there. 
So any closing thoughts, any preview or sneak peek of what Monitor 50th Gala attendees can look forward to in your keynote address at the panel that you're moderating? Well, I, we've covered a, a fair amount in the sense that I, I do, I am going to talk about a different approach to strategy, um, this notion of zoom out, zoom in, I'll go into more detail than I've had the, the time to do here. This notion of scaling the edge, I think, um, will, will certainly be a part of my talk. And this notion of rethinking innovation around scalable learning versus scalable efficiency. Um, so I'm going to try to go into more depth around the things that are going to be required to, to drive change and be more successful in a in a rapidly changing world. And I guess one key thing that um, that I would highlight is I talked started our, our conversation around this notion of the big shift and mounting performance pressure. Uh, as people will discover, I'm a I love paradox. And one of the paradoxes of the big shift is that at the same time that it's creating mounting performance pressure, it's creating exponentially expanding opportunity. We can create far more value with far less resource, far more quickly than would have ever been imaginable a few decades ago. But if we're just driven by fear, we can't even see those opportunities, much less have the motivation to pursue them. So I think, again, one of the key issues here is how do we move beyond the fear and cultivate emotions that will help us to see and pursue the exponentially expanding opportunities out there. And it's not just an opportunity, I believe it's an imperative because if we don't start to see those opportunities and pursue them and continue to hold on to the old ways of doing business, we're gonna be increasingly marginalized. So that's uh, the focus of the talk for sure. Well, I'm really looking forward to it and anyone listening out here, um, I, please, uh, you know, listen, go and go to our website and, and sign up for the uh, 50th gala while tickets still remain. Um, we're all really looking forward to, to hearing your talk, John. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Right. Thanks a lot. And we'll, we'll see you in June. Thank you. Excellent.